Blog Talk Radio. player and LPJ professional Cindy Miller and we are the hosts of the Women of Golf Show. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Ted. How are you? I'm doing very well. Welcome back. Uh, you had a little hiatus last week uh, off uh, down in Orlando uh, doing some more tips for the Golf Channel and we're going to talk about that in just a second and then we're going to uh, give the folks an idea of what we're going to be doing uh, on, today, on this morning's show in just a minute. But let me just remind everybody real quick, Cindy, um, that we are live every Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time here on blogtalkradio.com network. And the uh, easiest way to find us, of course, is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or just type in women of golf in the search key and that will bring you to the main page. Uh, you can listen live there uh, if you're joining us right now. And otherwise, you can just scroll down to the page and uh, check out the on-demand section, and that's where all of the shows uh, will be there in the recorded version. You can listen when it's convenient for you if you're not able to join us uh, during the live hour. Um, other so- uh, social media platforms that you can tune into the show as well are iTunes.com and Stitcher.com, and now, of course, this year, TuneIn.com. So lots of great ways to connect with the show. Uh, you're also welcome to reach out to either Cindy or I if you're interested <coughs> Excuse me, in getting uh, contact with us Maybe you're somebody in the golf industry. You don't necessarily have to be uh, a teaching pro or uh, a coach. Uh, you can maybe be an entrepreneur or somebody else uh, in the golf industry that you feel you might have a, an interesting story that you want to share with our audience. Uh, you can do so by reaching out to either one of us. Cindy's email is cindy at cindymillergolf.com, and uh, mine is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And always love to hear from you. You're also welcome to call into the show uh, during the live broadcast, and the number to call is area code 347-945-5855. Um, we've got a great show for you this morning. Uh, first off, we're going to start with a discussion on how to break 90. Uh, we're going to give you some tips and some ideas on, on uh, how to, to break through that barrier. And then a little, little bit later on the show, we're going to be joined by a very good friend, and uh, she's been on the show a number of times over the years, Kate Tempesta. She's the founder uh, partner and president of Fun, as she likes to uh, call herself, and she's also the uh, uh, owner and founder of Urban Golf Academy, uh, as well as an LPJ uh, teaching and club professional and the director of junior golf program at Montauk Downs. So uh, she'll be joining us a little bit later on. But first, let's just get an update from Cindy. Uh, Cindy, you were down in Orlando last week uh, doing some uh, great stuff with the Golf Channel. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the LPGA, uh, they picked nine players and teachers to come down and shoot some tips that will be aired on the Golf Channel and the LPGA Women's Network. And um, so we flew into Orlando. We drove over to LPGA headquarters, which is in Daytona Beach. And we had a great time with the Golf Channel crew. And each one of us filmed two tips. And then we did some Secrets of a Champion, which was filmed inside Mike Wan's office talking about different tour players and hitting shots on the golf course and how you can, um, what are the secrets of a champion and what do they do. And then we did some drills for the LPGA Women's Network, and that was about it, but we had a great time. So when, um, yeah, it sounds like you guys did. So when uh, are the, the tips available now? Uh, on the LPGA Women's Network and, and the Golf Channel, or when are they going to be available? When can, can the folks, if they want to uh, check them out and get some uh, great tips from you, from you ladies? You know, I really have no idea when they're going to be up and running, but I can tell you this, that I have some free golf tips 
that if you email me, I can send you the link to sign up to get a free tip every week. And that is Cindy at CindyMillerGolf.com. Just put in the subject line, send me the free tip link, and I will do that. And then I can let you know as soon as all these other tips have been edited and are up for airing. I think they might be shown on a couple of the instruction programs on the Golf Channel because the producer that was in charge of the shoot is one of the guys in charge of instruction on Golf Channel. So I'm not sure when and where, okay. but I will let you know. So if you want okay, to well, sounds good. Well, me, um, yeah. Perfect. And, Cindy, you can let us know, too, when they're available uh, at the uh, the Golf Channel and, and so forth. Once I'm sure you'll know once they uh, are available and we can let, let the folks know here on the show. Um, all right, Cindy, we're, we're going to uh, – talk about uh, a subject actually I, I've talked about it recently uh, last Thursday night in fact on uh, my other program Golf Talk Live on the Coach's Corner panel we talked about uh, how to break 90 a little bit and uh, I thought this would be an interesting topic for us because it's something we really haven't done specifically so I just want to read a couple things and then we'll, we'll have some dialogue about that uh, in our conversation this morning and, and I think one of the things Cindy that um, I think that will help many of our, our club golfers and our high handicap golfers out there that are maybe struggling to, to reach that plateau. I think they, they have to start learning to think a little bit differently. Um, there's a lot you can do to, to reach a goal of breaking 90 and doesn't necessarily mean that you have to reinvent the wheel uh, or change your golf swing uh, dramatically in a lot of cases. Uh, something else too, Cindy, I know we've kind of talked about this before on the show and that is really kind of play bogey golf um, and, and what I mean by that is, obviously, on, on golf courses, we have a par 3, par 4, and par, par 5, respectively. Um, but for some folks that are maybe struggling a little bit, Cindy, with their game, that can be a little bit daunting. So what, what I recommend them doing, and obviously this is just uh, when they're out playing their normal rounds, uh, certainly not in a tournament play or anything, but um, that they change that par, if you will, instead of a 3, 4, 5, um, a four, five, and six. So, in other words, for a par three, a par four, you, it becomes a par four, uh, a par four, par five, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and the idea of that is it relieves a little bit of pressure uh, on the player. Um, you know, when you're playing, especially some of these difficult courses, Cindy, out there, a lot of golfers uh, struggle with that. And if they know that on a par three, in their mind, okay, I've got four shots to make par uh, in, in, in order to, to play bogey golf which is ultimately going to help them break 90, uh, I think that's a, a, a good idea to at least get that in their mindset. What are your thoughts on that? I absolutely agree with you. I think they need to uh, create their own personal par. And, and if you're brand new, I mean, maybe double par is your par. So if you're on a mm. par three, you want to right. make a six. And if you're on a par four, you want to make an eight. And on a par five, you want to make a 10. Um, and again, yes. if you if you've never broken 110, I would say double bogey is your par. So <laughs> if you double bogey mm -hmm. every hole, you shoot 108. Right, right, exactly. And and the idea is, Cindy, that I think that you know a lot of folks get out in the in the practice range uh, and you know they're working on their game, they're doing some things, and they're not as as we've put it in the past not really practicing with any sort of purpose. And, and what I thought would be interesting is just to talk about some things a little bit on specifically what they can do and, and to help them visualize what they need to do and, and you know, to, to be able to achieve some success. And one of the, uh, a couple of things that um, I've thought of uh, as well is when you're talking about, um, for instance, on the putting surface, if you get your, your first putt, so in other words, if you, you've now hit the green, uh, again, you're not necessarily always going for the pin, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but um, maybe you've hit the fat part of the green and you've got a, a bit of a lag putt. Rather than, I mean, obviously you want to aim at the hole, Cindy, and you want to try your best to, to go for it, but if you can get it was kind of within that three-foot circle around the cup, uh, if you sort of have that as a new goal, instead of always trying to make the putt, say from 30, 40, 50, even 50 feet away, I think that gives you a little bit more flexibility and again, helps to alleviate that pressure. And the same thing with your chips. If you're chipping off the green, uh, yeah, it's great if you can make it, and you certainly want to get it as close as possible. But if you're a, a good distance off of the green, and maybe you've got, again, 30 or 40 yards, um, you know, getting it within even a six foot circle is certainly going to increase your chances of success 
and only ending up with maybe uh, a two putt instead of a three or, or, or more. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, sort of defining a, a more um, refining a goal, if you will, on the putting surface? Um, I totally agree with you. I believe that so many times people, let's say you hit a really good shot and you knock it 10 feet from the hole, and mm. you might think, oh, I have to make this, and then you knock it eight feet by, and then you four putt, right. you've just wasted two shots. So I believe yep. you almost need to be less of a risk taker and more steady and just try to get the ball close to the hole. If you get a feel for the speed of the green, um, and one way you can do that is what I do is I start out on the practice green and I put my feet about shoulder width apart, and I take three balls and I make three strokes, and the width of my stroke is the width of my feet, and I see what how far is the ball rolling when I take this stroke with my feet, you know, shoulder width apart and the width of my stroke, the width of my feet. And then I walk it off. So typically the length of that putt is, you know, I walk in yards, so it's four, five, or six steps depending on the speed of the green. Well, that's my key for the day. So then I walk putts off, and on longer putts I don't hit it harder. I take a bigger stroke which will really help you learn to adapt and adjust to the speed of the green. Yeah, and, and that's a great tip as well. Um, you know, having an idea of, of the distances and the speed and, and so forth on the greens, um, that, that's crucial. And, and I think the purpose really, Cindy, of, of the points that, that we want to make today is a lot of people are focusing on the wrong thing. They, they get sometimes too aggressive. You know, for our better golfers out there, you know, they might want to go for the flag or they might want to be a little bit more aggressive in their shots. But I think if for those that are struggling to, you know, a lot of times even to break 100, but particularly if they want to get down to that next level of breaking 90, they've got to be a little bit more realistic um, in their approach. And I think if they do that and do that with some consistency, they're going to start seeing um, more improvement uh, in their overall game. And another area, Cindy, as well, that I think is, is very important is – uh, and a question that people have to ask themselves is, do I know my club distances? In other words, when you're out there on the practice tee and you're working, do I know how far on average I'm hitting uh, my seven iron or my five iron or six iron or, or so on and so forth? Um, that's important as well, because I think that having that information uh, is going to, again, give me a better uh, understanding of my abilities out in the golf course, what I realistically can do. Um, for each club and knowing that is crucial. And I mean, you'll ask, you know, this yourself, Cindy, from playing on the tours uh, as a tour player, that's crucial information to have knowing how far you're hitting your clubs. Correct. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you also need to know how far the ball's flying. So some people, you know, they count well how far it ends up rolling. And depending on the time of year, you know, if you're in Florida right now and the ground's hard, the ball's going to roll 10, 20 yards on the fairway, right. maybe even 30. Um, yep. If you're playing in Buffalo in a couple of weeks when the snow melts, the ball's not going to roll anywhere because the, the ground's so wet and cold. <laughs> so you need to know how far yep. the ball carries so that if you have a, a yes. hole where there might be a, a bunker in front of the green, you know, what do you have to hit to fly it over the trap? So that's very important. Yeah, and, and that really, I think, is, is a better way to emulate it is what are your carry distances? Because you're exactly right. I mean, you, you don't know exactly how far or what the distance the ball is going to go once it hits the, the, uh, the ground. It could go 10 yards. Um, you know, it could go 20 or 30, as you suggest. Or if in wet conditions, it could just plunk and you've got a little bit of a buried lie out in the fairway, um, or a plugged lie, rather. So I think knowing how far each of your clubs carry, uh, I think, is is important information. Another area, too, that I think a lot of our club golfers and and high handicappers, uh, Cindy, struggle with, and that is when they get themselves in trouble. Uh, And I mean by that, maybe they're hitting, uh, get it in water or uh, out of bounds, rather, and I think that they have to understand how to play. So in other words, I'll give you an example. You know, you've, you've gotten up to the first tee. 
maybe there's water, a, a small creek or something running across about maybe 175 to 200 yards uh, out in the fairway. If you're not confident with your driver and you don't think you're going to be able to carry that, which a lot of our club golfers are not going to be able to do, um, then you've got to start thinking about maybe laying up and playing smart as opposed to taking a chance uh, and putting it in the water. Uh, again, talk a little bit about that, Cindy. You know, what are some smarter options for our players to do in, in a case where they might be faced with some trouble? Well, again, if you know your distances, then you have to be able to say, okay, it's this far to carry the water. It's this far to lay up. And depending on your behavior style, your personality, a high D personality, which is the driven control freight, which is Tiger Woods, you might really want to just have a 50-50 chance of getting it over the water. Uh, a person that's not that big of a risk taker, which would be a high S or a C behavior style, might need a 70 or 80% chance of knowing they can get it over the water. So all that has to play into your decision-making before you commit to the shot. And, and what I find is people either don't pay attention or they don't know how to figure out how to make a decision on whether or not to take a risk, and they just grab a club and go and then make a really silly mistake, and it costs them dearly. Right, exactly. Um, and I think another thing, too, Cindy, that, um, you know, golfers that uh, maybe are struggling a little bit with their game uh, also need to consider, you know, often we see uh, a situation where maybe they've hit it into the trees a little bit, it's still in play, um, it's not out of bounds, but they've got a bunch of uh, trees to navigate. And even some of the pros will take a look at that situation. I know they can be a little bit more aggressive on their shots and, and find a spot that they can maybe thread it through, but if you're somebody that's having a difficulty of breaking 100 and, uh, and definitely having struggles trying to get down to 90, the last thing you want to do is try to thread it through uh, if you're not a confident shot maker. So in a case like that, Cindy, I think the smart play there is just to take the quickest and easiest route out of that trouble, get back into the fairway, and prepare for your next shot as opposed to trying to you know, hit a hero shot and and end up in worse shape or, or um, you know, maybe even losing a ball because it's ricocheted off the trees now. So I think just getting out of trouble sometimes uh, to a safe spot is, is the smarter play. And, again, you're not likely going to waste as many strokes, and that way you also give yourself a much cleaner uh, lie for your next shot, which is hopefully going to give you a little better chance at, at getting to the green. Um, the other thing, Absolutely. too, very quickly, Cindy, and, and then, yeah, the other thing, too, is, um, you know, we find ourselves in a bunker. Too many players try to finesse the shot out. I think a lot of times the smart play uh, to avoid wasting a lot of strokes is just to get out. You want to get out the very first time. You don't want to hit it and, and it sort of flops and, and stays in the bunker. Just get it out. If you're on a greenside bunker, um, you know, sometimes you might have to aim away a little bit, uh, depending on the lie, uh, from the hole and just get to a, a safe part of the green. And then even if you two-putt, uh, again, if you follow what we talked about earlier, maybe raise the par level a little bit, you still may be in a position to make your new par, if you will, uh, and still be well on your way to breaking 90. Um, another thing, just go back to clubs just for a second, Cindy, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, we all have kind of favorite clubs that we play with, and then we have some not-so-favorite, or maybe we're not as confident. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Is it a smart play, do you think, um, when you're playing in a round, if you're not confident with certain clubs, to maybe avoid them in that round and play with something, play with clubs that maybe you're like, again, if your seven is your favorite club, um, but maybe you've got a five iron shot, rather than hitting a five iron that you're not confident with, maybe scale back and, and maybe hit a seven iron that you are confident, even though you're not going to get the same distance. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's the wise choice. I also think it's wise. Let's say you have a four hybrid and you love your four hybrid and you hate mm -hmm. five iron, take your four hybrid and grip down on it and take a full swing and the ball will probably go five iron distance. So always yeah. be open to adapting and making different decisions that will benefit you being more relaxed and comfortable, which should also help you play more consistently. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, the, the idea is that 
we have to practice, but when we do practice in, in preparation for playing, we have to practice with a purpose. And, and I've just sort of jotted a few things down here, Cindy. I'm going to read them out real quick, and then we'll, we'll have a discussion about it a little bit um, before uh, our, our guest comes on. Um, and that is we want to put together a practice plan. Now, this is not carved in stone. This, for some, might be very aggressive because I know we are all have time constraints on us. So, But um, in, in the putting category, here's something that I suggest. Uh, again, the numbers might be a little bit aggressive, but maybe uh, hit every week 100 four-foot putts and do your best to hold them out uh, each time. That gives you confidence on your short putts. Uh, you might want to hit 220-foot putts or lag putts uh, within that three-foot area that we talked about earlier per week. And again, I know this is a lot. Not everybody has a chance. So you might want to uh, reduce the numbers to maybe 50 in each uh, and, and, uh, or 75. In chipping, you know, again, hit 115-yard chips uh, within that six-foot circle. Uh, in your pitching areas, maybe, again, you want to hit another 135-yard pitch. So basically what you're doing in these three categories, you're really working on your short game. And the idea is why you want to be a little bit more aggressive, and I'll explain that in a minute, uh, is that you, you want to be able to really hone on and develop some short game skills. One of the biggest problems, Cindy, and I'm sure you see this all the time uh, with a lot of our, our uh, high handicap golfers, is they get out there, they hit a few shots, whatever it may be, whether it's a pitch or a chip, and that's all they do. So they're not really gaining any knowledge or any feel for those particular shots. So I think that you need to put a game plan in place in your practice, uh, as I said, practicing with a purpose. Uh, same thing with bunker, hitting you know maybe 50 balls the first time um, you know, and not leaving it in the bunker, just be a little bit more aggressive and getting it out of the bunker. Uh, again, with your irons and hybrids, uh, you want to be able to determine distances. Hit a half a bucket per week, uh, interchanging between your irons and hybrids. Again, just to give you an idea of what your carry distances are. Uh, same thing with all your clubs. Go through all of your clubs. Hit the other half of the bucket, uh, working on your grip and your setup. And then on your misses, uh, we're all going to have some misses. Uh, Get your swing analyzed by a professional to determine some of the causes um, that you're maybe having difficulties in your swing, and then help with along with your professional to determine some great at-home practice drills and, and fix uh, some of your mixes and work on these things daily, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes a day. Get a plan together so that you're working aggressively on some of these areas. Uh, what are your thoughts here about having a, sort of a detailed plan every week? And again, we can scale the numbers back as people have uh, some time restraints. But what are your thoughts there, Cindy, about having some sort of a, an aggressive plan like that to really focus on these areas? Well, I think it's a great idea, and, I, and I'm going to steal this. <laughs> because I think it, it helps make us accountable, and, and then you yeah. don't feel guilty that you haven't practiced. Um, so it's your responsibility to work on your game, and I can tell you, if you only did the putting portion, you're definitely going to get better. Yep. Um, so, no, again, no. I, I suggest that, you know, everyone take this. And, again, you can email Ted at golftalklive at gmail.com or you can email me, Cindy, at cindymillergolf.com to get this practice plan in a written form because sitting here seeing it on the notes, very detailed and very easy to follow and it's very doable so i'm in right. thanks right yeah yeah you're, you're welcome and, and i think that this is something and again you know cindy one of the things that i see and, and i know that you see i'm sure very similar with with some of our you know when you play in the pro-ams and that and you see everybody warming up and obviously i know you don't have the same amount of time uh you know when you're playing in the pro-ams to you know, to work on the range you're not going to spend 30 minutes but you can do a lot of these things within a 30-minute practice session. Again, you might scale down the numbers. You may not be aggressive and, and hit 100 three-foot putts or 200, you know, uh, 15 or, or 20 or 30 lag putts. Um, that, that's a pretty aggressive number. That might be something that you might want to do on your own time if you've got an hour uh, to go to the, to the uh, uh, you know, to the practice tee and, and, or, you know, practice range and work on things. And what I would suggest too, folks, if you've got an opportunity – Instead of working on your whole game every time you go, take um, you know, your putting and your chipping and your pitching and do that this week. Next week when you go, work on your, your, your yardage distances with your clubs. Make that your practice session. And I'm not talking about when you're going for a lesson. I'm talking about your practice session that you do on your own. 
So you can take bits and pieces of this and, and work aggressively on those areas every different time that you go so that you get a well-rounded game rather than trying to cram everything in. Because, again, you know as well as I do, Cindy, you, you see people that get out there and they're hitting their driver for Lord knows how long out in the driving range, and then they go and they'll hit a few putts and they'll maybe have a couple of bunker shots, and then they want to go out and play and they wonder why they can't play because they're not really practicing with any sort of uh, rhythm or purpose. So this is why I put these sort of notes together. Uh, again, it may be a little more aggressive um, for those that don't have as much time, so you can scale it back a little bit. But I think if you follow this, and if you're able to do all of them uh, each week when you go, um, great. If not, cut them in half or split it in thirds and, and do one. And I guarantee it that if you do these, um, especially start doing it now for those of you that are able to get out um, uh, and get out on the practice tee here in some of the warmer climates, if you're living up uh, where Cindy is up in Buffalo, uh, there's a lot of great indoor facilities that you can go and work on some of these areas of the game. But start doing it now, and I guarantee it that come summer uh, and early spring when the, when the thaw is out uh, in, in certain areas and you get out in the golf course and play, you're going to be well on your way to breaking 90, I guarantee it. Um, any final thought, thoughts, Cindy, before uh, we move on? No, I totally agree, and I think great job. Well, you know what? That's what we're here for. We're here to help the folks um, get better at their golf game. We know that uh, everybody struggles, even the best players in the world uh, struggle from time. You know, we've watched Tiger uh, slowly coming back here this season. Everybody's very excited and, and uh, you know, hopeful that uh, he's got some good, and he did a fantastic job this past uh, weekend playing, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing how he's going to do. But, you know, it didn't happen overnight. He had to get out there and he had to work on his game. So if you're serious about working on your game and, and wanting to, to break 90, then follow some of the things that we talked about here this morning. Um, you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel, as we said, uh, but you do need to get out there and start working on uh, your game. Um, another thing too, Cindy, um, while we're getting ready for our, our guest, um, is there's nothing like starting early in life as well. And Kate's going to talk a little bit about that uh, and some other things when she comes on. Let me just remind everybody uh, about our guest. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about her. She's been on the show before, but I'll remind for those that are maybe listening for the first time. Kate Tempesta, of course, is the founder and partner and president of FUN and is a member of the LPGA and Teaching and Club Professionals and uh, also the director of the Junior Golf Program at Montauk Downs and also the uh, Urban Golf Academy. As the leading junior golf professional in New York City, Kate's groundbreaking curriculum combines golf basics with activities that extend and enrich learning in an environment that is both fun and challenging for children of all ages. Uh, Kate uh, embraces the LPGA's holistic view of the golfer as well as uh, Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, and she takes into account, uh, account excuse me, individual learning styles, group dynamics, and ability levels and knows how to make the most of every learning experience and she's in my opinion one of the best in the business so without further ado cindy let's welcome our, our very special guest this morning kate tempesta good morning my friend good morning cindy hi tad hey how are you doing kate i'm great how are you it's snowing here in in how are the how are the <laughs> golf balls going to run on the greens in central park today it's snowing well get some colored <laughs> golf balls Okay, I <laughs> will. Yeah. Um, that Cindy, happens in Buffalo quite a bit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, thanks, uh, Kate, for, for coming back. We're always uh, glad to have you on the show. Um, Cindy, why don't you go ahead and start the conversation? So, Kate, let's tell the whole world about Faze Golf. Oh, let's do that, Cindy. Why don't you do, why don't you start? I'm just going to say something really brief about it and what I love about it so much because I, you know, I think I come at it from a slightly different angle in that I'm not in the traditional golf world. Um, but what I love about it so so much is that it builds a sense of community that I think is so sorely needed right now in the world. Um, and I also just believe in the impact community can have and I really like what Phase Golf has done and brought these four women together um, and created just a solid, nurturing community where women can come and feel safe um, and learn how to play the game and get better. And I think it's, I think it's awesome. And I, I'm thrilled to be a part of it, to be able to do what I do in a very authentic way, which is to offer 
um, you know, perhaps some ideas for parents or aunts and grandmas and moms and whoever to play golf in the backyard with their children and create a fun learning environment and to perhaps talk to them in different ways about how a young child could learn the game of golf in a super fun way that, you know, with words that really resonates with them. What the other three women are doing are just fantastic. And us as a community, I think, is really going to make an impact on the, on the women's uh, golf world. So tedfazegolf.com just launched last Wednesday, and it is an online learning community for women. Uh, men could go there, too, if they wanted to. There is a yearly and a monthly subscription, and you can come in as a total beginner, a learner, a player, or a competitor, and you can learn how to improve your game uh, from start to finish. And Kate Tempesta is our official um, junior golf extraordinaire because she is the best in the business. And so we're going to help all people basically play better golf and learn to have more fun doing it. Wow, it sounds uh, fantastic. And I know, Cindy, that you're part of it as well. Um, so I know it, it's, uh, it's set up for, for success. You know, one of the I, I did go to facegolf.com uh, and I and I looked and one of the interesting uh, lines that I liked is it is it's for women by women for you, which was a very interesting uh, slogan, if you will, or catch line, um, because this is something that I think is important that a lot of people don't understand in golf. Um, Cindy, you and I know that there's a lot of women who've you know taken up the game and are very intimidated by the game uh, to begin with, and I think that the more women that we get involved. On the teaching side and the learning side, I think it's going to be great for the, for the overall game. But I think women need to see more women involved in the sport. And I think what FaZe Golf is doing um, by sort of tackling all areas and all facets of the game, I think is going to be fantastic. Because, uh, again, you know, we want the women to feel comfortable. We want them to feel welcome to the sport. And I think if they see other women engaged uh, at different levels and different areas of the game, they're going to be more inclined and more comfortable to want to continue that journey. And that's not to say that, you know, men can't do a great job in, in teaching and things like that, but I think that it's, it's predominantly been a male-dominated sport for so long, and I think women, now that they're starting to really make a movement forward and coming out, I think it only uh, helps the cause, if you will, by seeing more women involved at the professional level as well. Um, and, and obviously you've got some, some great partners there. Um, that's that's so true. Kate, Again, what? I would say that the, the community aspect of it, so when you join Phase Golf, it's almost like a Facebook community, and you can meet other friends from all over the world, and, you know, you can talk about things that may intimidate you, and or you can make golf games and, and go on trips and do all kinds of things. So I think Kate hit the nail on the head. The sense of community and a safe place for women to go is awesome. Yeah, well, well said. Um, now, Kate, obviously we know what you've been doing over the last several, several years, uh, working with juniors, a lot of the, the great programs. And it's not, of course, all about the grip and the stance and the posture. You're trying to introduce them to a game with some, uh, with some fun and, and interesting things. And sometimes it's not always uh, directly golf-related. Uh, and I know you've got a great uh, golf academy, the Urban Golf Academy, and you've got a great area to work with in Central Park. Tell us a little bit about the Urban Golf Academy and some of the things that you're doing, uh, some of the programs that you've got um, that you're working through on, on exposing a lot of the youngsters to, to ultimately to, to golf. Sure. Yeah, well, after this radio show, I'm on my way up to Harlem to work at the Harlem Armory, um, where we have 20 pre-K students that picked up a golf club for the first time uh, seven weeks ago. We'll be finishing 10 weeks with them just, just here in a couple of weeks. Um, and after that, I'll be going off to a private school on the Upper East Side where we teach 12 kids. We've got a couple other programs going on throughout the city today in rented indoor spaces. Um, this week, we also complete our work with just for the season with an organization called Change for Kids which, again, uh, brings golf to underserved communities in New York. We just partnered with three schools this past eight weeks and delivered our curriculum to 158 kids um, at or near the poverty line. Wow. And it just, 
um, you know, we go into their communities. So we teach in a cafeteria in the back. We push the chairs aside and the tables, and we create the golf learning environment with up to 18 kids three times a day. Um, and then we start wow. we get ready to start our spring program in Central Park, which starts uh, April 3rd. That will be an eight-week semester. We'll have uh, 25 classes in Central Park, and we'll continue, of course, to run our after-school programs in these actual schools. So once the first week of April hits, we'll have 42 classes a week where we focus on the three- to seven-year-old market. Um, and then, of course, in the summertime, so the Urban Golf Academy runs 365 days a year in New York City. Of course, we take Christmas off and some major holidays, but, okay, so subtract maybe sure. four days from that. But it's 100% of the time we're working with this, with uh, the, the ages three to seven here in New York City, whether it's in Central Park or in a school or in a summer camp program within the school. Um, and then I get to go out to Montauk Downs for the summer where I run 11 weeks of uh, junior programming where we have 38 hours a week of programming for all ages and, and, and levels of ability. So that's when we really get to get them out on the golf course and, um, you know, learning how to take their joy and their, their playful learning that they've had over the years and bring it out onto the golf course. So that's what we do, and, and it's been just it's, – it's so fun to live my purpose. I can't even tell you. And right. why I love Cindy so much because she just, you know, she inspires other people to find their it and live their purpose, and I just feel – I feel so incredibly lucky to have landed and, uh, and just, you know, it's not a choice for me. Like, this is what I do, and – this is what I have to do, and I right. really love doing what I do. Yeah. So, Kate, yeah, tell and I us think that's, about, that's yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kate. Cindy. Tell us about um, Birdie, and tell us what you're yeah. doing with your new program. Yeah. So, Birdie, really, a program that you've had forever. Yeah. So, the Urban Golf Academy started in 2008. It became an official LLC in 2010. Birdie came into the mix somewhere in late 2011, and Birdie is our mascot. And what I have learned over the years and what's, what's been reinforced to me is the power of story and the power of this mascot and how Birdie, the mascot, allows us to play games and tell the story of golf because children, children are – we're all wired for story, right, whether you're 4 or you're 40 or 400. Mm-hmm. But children, especially of these early years, are really wired for story and they're really wired for engagement. And so Birdie helps us create – this learning environment from as simple as the finger puppets that we use with them. We talk about social emotional concepts of, you know, the orange one is feeling happy and the blue one's sad and the pink one's a little shy. And so when we do our circle time with these kids, it gives them an opportunity to really talk in a very non-threatening way. We bookend every single class with circle time to create a really special space for these children to feel heard and to feel um, yeah. Like they're in a safe environment because, you know, it's a little weird coming into a golf class in Central Park when you're three or four and you're new to it. So birdie instantly creates mm-hmm. this nurturing environment. And then, of course, we have our birdieisms, which I'm super proud of. And these are simply metaphors that I've yeah. used for years and years on how to mm-hmm. teach the fundamentals of the golf swing. But they've now been illustrated over these past several years into these fun pictures. And so when I teach a child how to line up sideways relative to a target, they get on their magic shoes. And those magic shoes are birdies footprints and so we have six different colors um and we we use them in a variety of different ways we use the uh coloring templates of each birdieism to kind of deepen the learning environment so if cindy is standing on her magic shoes and putting a golf ball to the target then kate might be in the safety area coloring those magic shoes so that when she gets up she wants to make sure that she's on her magic shoes and there's just a library of these 50 birdieisms that you know, I have kids that are 13 that use them. I mean, they're just, you know, they're like the Cindyisms, right? Cindy has a very funny, right. great, and awesome way that she teaches women how to play golf. And, and it's what the birdieisms are. They're just these super fun visual words that resonate and mean something. You know, t- things like tempo don't mean anything to a child, but when they see Birdie dressed up as a cheetah or they see Birdie dressed up as an elephant, they know that they're going to explore different speeds of their golf swing and they're going to discover for themselves which ones right. work. You know, posture doesn't mean anything, but when you see Birdie and it's being illustrated as she's bowing to a lion, she's bowing to the king of the jungle, then we can start to create a dialogue around what that means and how that helps mm-hmm. us make the golf ball go up in the air. When, it, when, when they're ready, you know, when they're three and four, it might just be a silly right. game where they bow to the roaring king of the jungle. Um, but, you know, so the Birdie... Birdie has been a very, very powerful mascot for us, um, and 
we've created what we're calling the, the Birdie Basics Box, um, and we'll have a series of these boxes that come out over the next year where it's essentially things that we've done for the past 10 years and really 20 years because 10 years of, of early childhood education in the creative movement classroom that I had prior to teaching golf, it's, 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 the box is really 20 years of, of my experience working with this age group and, and, and this, the, the tools necessary to really create a deep learning environment. Well said. Let me ask I think you I this. want to come and what take one. You... Of, yeah, I want to come and take one of your classes. Yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. So, what do you Go say ahead, to the parent? What do you say to the parent that says, "Why is my child not hitting golf balls?" Right. Um, you know, you educate them on all the other things that are happening in the classroom. And so if it's, again, if it's like a coloring template, well, look, they're learning how to set up their club. Like they're learning how to square up their club face in this picture. Of course, I'm not saying the word square up the club face, but in this picture they're coloring uh, the golf club and the ball are best friends. And so when they get up, they're going to want to, they're going to want to emulate that, what they just saw. Children are, are, are human beings that are so special and, again, so wired for engagement. And if I am delivering an hour of just hitting golf balls, whether it be putting or chipping or full swing, um, and, and, and listen, I don't want dismi- to dismiss that because, because that's what we do, but we happen to throw in these other little pieces that just create a deeper learning environment. And I think when you can really educate parents about, you know, I think number one, it's very gently telling them, like, listen, you're projecting your 40 years of experience onto this four-year-old. And this four-year-old has been walking on this earth for about 36 months, right? And yep. they, they live their world through play. They live their world through movement. They live their world through um, story and fantasy and creativity. And, you know, the, I don't know. The proof is in the pudding, really. And, 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 and I've said this before. And I don't want to sound harsh about it. Um, if a parent doesn't get our philosophy and doesn't see the magic that is happening, because trust me, in New York mm-hmm. City, we get our fair share of type A personalities that want their three-year-old chipping and, and, you know, getting on the golf course and being the expert golfer, then I'm not the golf guy <laughs> for you, you know? I'm, I'm just not. I'm, I'm just not. And I'm, I'm, I've lived for 18 years delivering a whole child approach, and I see it's magic, and I see it work. And I'm not going to I'm just I'm not going to sway from that. No, and and like nor it. should you. And and you know, yeah, and you know, Kate, one of the things that that I, I like about the approach that you're doing is, and we've talked, I know, on the show when we've had you on about this before, but a lot of parents, and you just very um, graciously talked about it here just a second ago, but um, a lot of parents put a lot of undue pressure to perform on their children. And to expect a three or four or even five-year-old to get out there for an hour, um, you know, maybe a couple times a week because they want them to be the next, you know, tour player is, is really robbing that child uh, of a growth opportunity. And I think the approach that you take is, to it is to make it fun, to make it enjoyable, to not make them afraid of, of playing golf at some point in their life, um, because they're not going to be the next tour player at three or four or five years old or even seven years old. And I think the biggest mistake that we see is parents pushing them so hard because they see that, well, so-and-so, you know, started playing golf when they were three or four. And, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but, you know, Tiger Woods is a a good example. But he's a unique case. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of these kids – as they're growing up and maturing, if they're pressured and pushed into an area that they're maybe not ready for, then they actually get turned off of the game or the sport. And that's not just golf. That's any sport. So you have to be careful of how we introduce them. And I like the fact that you make it fun and interesting, and it's not always about hitting you know, a bunch of golf balls. There's other messages and learning opportunities that are within your program. Uh, would that be pretty accurate? Yeah, and, you know, I just, I'll go a step further because it's a you know, pretty hot topic that some friends of mine and I were discussing at the PGA show, and it's really defining what fun is because I think if we just simply use – I mean, sure, I like to think of my programs as fun, but that's sort of a very broad term for, I think, what really goes deep and understanding. When you truly understand, sure. like, the different developmental milestones of each child – and not only the developmental milestones, but who each child is. And so if you have that seven-year-old that is very, very shy, 
I need to nurture that part of her before I can sort of get to her physical skills. Um, and so there's a very delicate balance between what might be fun for this seven-year-old versus what might be fun for that seven-year-old. And I've seen it enough times to really want to have a deeper conversation about what fun is. Because, of course, you hear that word all the time in junior golf. It's got to be fun. It's got to sure. be fun. Well, I can tell you, and I've used this example over and over again, if you take a game, an elimination game that's fun for an eight-year-old, and you put it in with a five-year-old, probably not going to be so much fun. And you're probably going to turn that five-year-old off. Um, because the mm-hmm. five-year-old has a very different emotional resiliency and, and category for that kind of game. So how do you then <clears> turn <throat> that game into something that's going to meet their needs on where they are developmentally? And the same thing goes for, like, if you have two eight-year-olds that are, you know, one might think that they're pretty developmentally ready for a little competition. Well, you know what? That eight-year-old, you never know what's going on. And I think, I think one of the biggest reminders for me this past year as we work with these kids that are at the poverty line, I had a kid last Friday that I caught from a homeless shelter. She was new on our roster. I'd never seen her mm. before. And I asked the teacher, I'm like, where did this little girl come from? And she said, she's one of our transient uh, community students. Like she just was zoned for this shelter. She just moved into the shelter not too far from here. So she's now coming to the school and to see her resiliency, but to see how we had to approach her on the first day that she's yes. been there after all the other kids had been there for five weeks. Well, I, if you look on my Facebook page or my social media, there's a picture of this little girl, and she is just absolutely lit up, beaming, smile, ear to ear. And it is just such a beautiful thing to watch. And I think it's just, it's just one of many, many, many examples of how we as – forget golf. <laughs> I, mean, I love the game. I love it, I love it, I love it. But forget about golf for a second and how we as these privileged people that get to serve these kids, how we get to come in and create mm-hmm. the environment based on what they need. And I think that's a really missing part um, that could really make a difference, those soft skills around coaching and teaching. Yeah, I I agree. And, and yeah, you've done a great job uh, thus far, and I know you're going to continue to do um, uh, a a great job is going on. And and, and it is important, Kate, you know, and and Cindy, I I know that, you know, we we all get it. Um, you know, we're in the, the industry, we see what goes on day in, day out, and uh, there's a lot of great opportunities out there, but there's also some areas that I think we can always improve on, and this is certainly one of them. And I, I, we thank you um, for sort of l- helping to lead the charge, if you will, and, and making a, a difference out there. And, and I, I really applaud you, um, Kate, for working with so many of these youngsters that maybe don't normally have the same opportunities that maybe you and I and, and Cindy have had uh, growing up. They're coming from uh, difficult homes, difficult backgrounds, um, poverty and, and homeless shelters, and giving them an opportunity to really understand who they are, and you're doing it through a way um, that's helping them learn and grow. And, and as you said, you know, uh, getting some, some great smiles and, and, and beaming faces uh, uh, out of these kids, and, and that's really through your approach. So we applaud you for doing that and want you to continue up with the great work. Thank you. Thank you. It's good You're stuff. very welcome. So, Kate, how do we, if somebody's listening to the program and, and uh, maybe they're in your area and, and have not partake uh, in, in some of what you have to offer, what's the best way to reach out to you and, and where can they go to get more information? Well, they can always check out our website, which is ktuga.com. That stands for Kate Tempest's Urban Golf Academy. If you go down to the bottom right-hand corner, you can see Meet the Birdie Box, and that will give you more information. And the Birdie Box is really, um, again, it's just a small digestible chunk of tools. Um, And there's online support where you can go and watch videos of these games, um, not only in action, but me, I talk a little bit more in depth about what what it's all about and how we we, – deliver the game and how we deliver our approach. Um, and so I'm really excited about it because it's going to give people from all over the world the opportunity to, number one, use our brand of birdie, which has been just like so super successful, um, and to be able to, to, to teach and create the same learning environment that we do here at the Urban Golf Academy. And I think it's a great way to have a window inside of what we do. Um, so they can go to KTGA. I p- post a ton of stuff on Instagram, KT Urban Golf. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Um, I'm on Twitter, probably not as much as I should be, KT Urban Golf. And, of course, I'm on Facebook. So there's a ton of information out there. Right. And I'm really excited to share Birdie and the Birdie Box with uh, the golf community. Well, perfect. Well, Kate, keep up the great work. And, again, we thank you for all that you do to um, not just grow the game, but just to, to reach out to a lot of those that maybe haven't uh, had the same opportunities and giving them uh, a great chance to to become the best that they can be at whatever they do in life. And and uh, maybe they'll even uh, add golf to their repertoire as they as they continue to develop through their, their uh, aging process. But thanks, Kate, for all you do, and, and keep up the great work. All right, thanks. Kate, have a great day. Bye-bye. All right, you too. Bye. All right, that was our very special guest, Kate Tempesta. And, you know, Cindy, she's just really, in my opinion, a great ambassador, um, you know, to the game and just does so much. And I know that you're very familiar with what she does. And obviously she has some very uh, kind uh, words to say to you as well. Uh, And you do such a great uh, job in in working uh, within the golf community both as a teacher professional and really as a, a beacon, if you will, of, of drawing others to the game. So um, we thank you as well, all of us uh, out here, uh, not only in the golf profession, uh, but all of the, uh, the regular folk as well. We thank you for all that you do. Um, Cindy, next week we're going to have a great panel discussion. Uh, Gianna Rojas, who's been on the show before, uh, she's known as the one-handed lady golfer. She obviously has had some physical challenges uh, from birth. And she's going to be coming on with a couple of other guests to talk about um, an area that really uh, is starting to gain some traction and momentum. Uh, lots of people, have, uh, she's been on the Golf Channel uh, before. She's worked, uh, in fact, she's going to be going to the Masters uh, tournament this year. She's been invited uh, to not only speak, but to, to do some, some things there as well. So she's gaining a lot of momentum. We're going to have our first panel discussion here on the Women of Golf Show uh, next week, uh, March 20th. So we want to make sure you stay tuned. Uh, we're going to be doing that for the whole hour. Jana and uh, her other uh, guests are going to be joining us. There'll be three in total. And, and of course, Cindy and I will be back. So we want you to make sure you tune in next week. It's going to be a great show. And, uh, and then we'll have uh, our, our regular program. We'll follow the week off uh, after that, which will be uh, March 27th. So we want to thank everybody uh, for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf Show. And again, one uh, more thank you to our our special guest, Kate Tempesta. And if you didn't get a chance to hear the whole show, go back and listen to it, especially uh, the first half. If you want to learn how to break 90, we've given you some good information there. And if you want to get more information and some great tips, you can reach out to Cindy at cindymillergolf.com, and she'll be more than happy to sign you up for some uh, some great tips as well. And you can also reach out to me at ted.golftalklive.com at gmail.com and I'll always uh, be more than happy to help you with your game as well. So on behalf of Cindy Miller and I, we want to thank you for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf Show and we look forward to uh, seeing you back here next Tuesday right here on the Women of Golf. Thank you, Cindy. Keep up the great work and I'll see you next week. Thanks, Ted. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye.